welcome to the Book Talkies podcast, a unique show where we take you into the wonderful world of books. On this platform, I, Anirudh, and I, Kaustub, will be conversing about the books we have read and come to love. Our purpose for this podcast is to make you fall in love with books. As we discuss our perspective on some bestsellers and hidden treasures, we hope to persuade our listeners to join us on this splendid journey of reading. And now, let's dig right in. Hey Kostum, how are you? Hello Anirudh, life is beautiful this side. How are you? Oh, that's great to hear. I'm doing well, thank you. A warm good afternoon to our audience. We are in episode 4 and just to remind you, this is the second time we are trying to get each other's perspective on a book that one of us hasn't read. In the last episode, I picked up Who Not How, a personal transformation and entrepreneurship related book. And I'm really excited to know which book has Kostub picked up this time. So Kostub, why don't you do the honors? Absolutely. And if you remember in our Who Not How episode, I mentioned that I picked up quite an ambitious book and it is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, written by Yuval Noah Harari. Ah, that's an amazing read. I happened to read it a few years back if I remember that. But do remind me what is this about? Sure. Two things. But let let me first ask you. Have you seen the Kung Fu Panda movie? Have you seen that? Who hasn't? Who hasn't seen that? I absolutely love that series. And in in the in the first movie, if you remember uh, one of the iconic statements that Master Ugwe says, right? Yesterday is history. Yes, yes, yes. Tomorrow. I remember this. Let me complete this. Uh-huh. Yesterday yeah. is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. And that is why it is called the present. Is that correct? Exactly. There we are. And this statement, this statement just hit me. Okay. That that that's the first point. The second thing, Yuval Noah Harari. Now, even non-readers would have also have known about his book Sapiens, right? Where he talks about the evolution of Homo sapiens. And if I go back to what Master Ugwe had said, this is where yesterday is history. We have a we have a very rich and epic history. His second book, Homo Deus, it talks about the future, the mysticism about the future, and how sapiens as species will evolve into a more tech-integrated new species altogether, which he terms as Homo Deus. And FYI, Deus in Latin is God. So we'll be kind of a godlike creature. That becomes mystery, you know. We don't know how we will evolve. And that leaves us with today, which is a gift. And that's what 21 Lessons for the 21st Century focuses on. Here and now. That's quite an analogy. I like that. Yeah, and it helps us concentrate on the current affairs and on the immediate future of human societies. Um, there are certain questions that he tries to answer. What is happening right now? What are today's greatest challenges and choices? What should we pay attention to? Most importantly, what should we teach our kids? And if I I look at the global agenda, he also asks us to look at the major forces that shape societies all over the world and that are likely to influence the future of our planet as a whole. For me, you know, the central idea of this book it kind of toned down the panic mode that our society is in to more of what we say bewilderment. 
it tries to convince us that mate just calm down you just don't understand what's going on in the world true and and well who isn't bewildered there is just so so much that mm-hmm. is happening around us which we don't understand maybe maybe it's just a little early to ask this but since i have read this book what is the most striking call out for you <laughs> you really had to start with a curveball already isn't it yes um even i have read this book twice by the way and the beauty of this book is you will always find something new for every age the last time i read it uh, was in 2018 when it was just launched and i at that time what really enticed me was how it defines the work of the future and how it how i have to change my career and evolve my career into etc etc but now i am a father to a 2 year old so what concerns me is what is the future for my son and it comes down to one of the most important chapter is the future of education right right i think you have raised a very valid concern there because most of what i learned in my schooling is just irrelevant now and forget schooling if i even pick up my days of mba which aren't which weren't too far behind it seems to be becoming more and more irrelevant as we speak mm-hmm. so i'm equally worried for myself and my younger brother who is in second year of college as to how prepared are we for the world that is ahead of us 10 years 20 years 30 years down the line what will it look like and is our education system preparing us for that very true can can you can you imagine can you compare our current education system and i think it is not so different than our elder siblings or even our parents were going through right it has it had a similar structure it had similar type of subjects only a delta increment here and there that's true but and as you said you know most of us complain that whatever we have learned we haven't applied to our career and of course we as humans we cannot predict the future with accuracy but today it is more difficult than ever before because once technology enables us to engineer bodies brains and minds we can no longer be certain about anything including things that previously seemed fixed and eternal now much of what kids are learning today will likely be irrelevant by 2050 my son would be in his 30s in 2050 in such a world the last thing i think a teacher needs to give her pupils is information i'll give you an example uh, one of my older nieces uh, she will be appearing for her 12th grade examination sooner a smart kid she doesn't read the book she learns through watching youtube videos technology adaptation is already happening at such a rampant speed i totally agree i couldn't agree more i think the likes of byju's udemy online learning that's that's correct. the new way kids are learning correct now instead of that people need the ability to make sense of information that they are getting to tell the difference between what is important and what is unimportant and above all combine many bits of this information into a broad picture of the world so what do you what do you really suggest should we be teaching in schools well it's hardly for me to suggest anything but mr harari says that schools should switch to teaching the four c's it's practical and brilliant okay the four c's one critical thinking second communication third 
collaboration and fourth creativity now more broadly schools should downplay technical skills and emphasize on more general purpose life skills most important of all will be the ability to deal with change to learn new things and to preserve your mental balance in unfamiliar situations and this is very very critical anirudh in the world where twelve something pupils who live on dopamine through their instagram shares their tiktok shares likes etc if they don't get what they crave for it significantly disturbs them mentally and it will affect their health affect their mental capability in the long run in order to keep up with the world of 2050 you will need not merely to invent new ideas and products you will above all need to reinvent yourself again and again hmm so i think we can perhaps rely on technology for this because i personally try and keep myself a bit updated about what's happening in the tech world do you think that could help that's even a riskier gamble technology can help you a lot yeah tech, it it does help us a lot but if technology gains too much power over our life you might become a hostage to its agenda have you have you noticed those zombies who roam on the streets with their faces glued to their smartphones you tell me do you think they control the technology or does the technology control them i'm pretty sure it's the latter but yeah, yeah. i get your point so somewhere somewhere i also feel that if technology gains too much of power and by that i don't mean that it already hasn't we are becoming hostages to its agenda what do you think you got to think from a common human collective right the terms like globalization blockchain genetic engineering artificial intelligence machine learning big big words right common people may not uh, you know relate to these words they they would suspect that these are these terms or these entities are not about them there are many technology revolutions going on and covid has just accelerated the pace the twin revolutions in infotech and biotech it could restructure not just economies and societies but also our very bodies and minds well probably a fundamental question at this stage you've talked about information technology we've talked about biotechnology mm-hmm. it sounds familiar because i have some understanding in terms of my qualifications but what's mm-hmm. biotechnology i'm guessing it has something to do with biology and technology coming together but tell me more it's i would i would rather say let's let's say how we look at modern biotechnology right it's like enhancing our core gene our core dna for a better evolution of homo sapiens have you heard of genetic engineering anywhere yes i have it is exactly uh, one of the most upcoming fields in biotechnology this is where it will help us move from becoming just being homo sapiens to what yuval noah harari calls at homo deus right that makes sense now having said that let's let's understand the nature of this technology challenge right and perhaps it would be best to start with the job market we both are in service industry so i think that's where it would be interesting okay i sort of sense where you're taking this discussion is this the never ending debate about whether technology will create jobs or take them away is that right <laughs> yeah, exactly and i mm. think that the technology revolution might soon push billions of humans out of the job market and it also would create a massive new useless class 
uh, it would lead to social and political upheavals that no existing ideology know how to handle and this is very practically mentioned in 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 the book we have no idea what the job market will look like in 2050 do you agree or not i certainly do yes okay now it is generally agreed that machine learning and robotics will change almost every line of work let's say from producing yogurt to teaching now some believe that within a mere decade or two billions of people will become economically redundant we just don't know what is happening and what is going to happen it's just what i said earlier right i'm completely bewildered by what what he what he says here however on the other side some people also maintain that even in the long run automation will keep generating new jobs and greater prosperity for all i just don't know which way the needle will move you know right but what's your take and by that uh, i mean what is yours take on what is happening around us right now today what do you think about that well he emphasizes that yeah the loss of many traditional jobs in everything from art healthcare will partly be offset by the creation of new human jobs so by that are you hinting towards leveraging ai and disruptive technologies instead of actually competing against them exactly exactly okay now for example the replacement of human pilots by drones has eliminated some jobs but created many new opportunities in maintenance remote control data analysis and cybersecurity in the same field right I'm asking too many questions here, but yet another question, and maybe a little yeah. far-fetched. But what do you make of the job market in 2050? What do you think it will be like? Again, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> uh, but one thing that I'm kind of convinced by the way Mr. Harari says, he says that job market will be characterized by human AI cooperation rather than competition. The problem with all such new jobs, however, is they will probably demand high levels of expertise and will therefore not solve the problems of unemployed skilled labors i'll let's let's take a hypothetical example in 1920s okay a farm worker which was laid off due to mechanization of agriculture he or she could find a new job in in a factory producing tractors right in 1980s an unemployed factory worker could start working as a cashier in supermarket but just imagine in 2050 a cashier or a textile worker losing their job to a robot will hardly be able to start working as a cancer researcher or let's say even a drone operator or even in a human ai banking team the result would be a rise of a new useless class we might actually get the worst of both worlds and that's what i'm afraid of we would also see a very high unemployment rate but also a shortage of skilled labor an ironical real time example the us armed forces need 30 people to operate every unmanned predator or reaper drone flying over syria while and they have to analyze the resulting harvest of information uh, you know and and they also need more people in that field in 2015 as i said the us air force lacked sufficient trained humans to fill all these positions and therefore faced an ironic crisis in manning its unmanned aircraft we have to come to an acceptance that the current social economical and political models we have inherited are inadequate for dealing with such challenges 
Now already today computers and algorithms are beginning to function as clients in addition to producers not people but algorithms okay are are our clients let me ask you this question the book talk this podcast our podcast yeah who is our target customer i guess it's our listeners i beg to differ our listeners are our consumers but the most important customer of all is an algorithm the google search algorithm when people design web pages they often cater to the taste of the google search algorithm rather than to the taste of any human being right that makes sense because we actually check spotify apple podcasts mm-hmm. and try to increase our outreach or viewership by doing what not using the right keywords meta tags and all of those jazzy stuff mhm now you get it yeah okay that understood but what why do you think technology is becoming so important like what makes it so inevitable for our future a simple three worded answer big fat data so mr harari calls this is a rise of a digital dictatorship era where at present people like us we are very happy to give away our most valuable asset our personal data in exchange for free email services and funny cat videos we should accept this now most people don't know themselves very well including us they they depend on an algorithm to make decisions for them in india we have this uh, matrimonial sites where you feed in the data and algorithm will choose maybe the top 5 top 6 prospects for your you know for your as as your partner as your soulmate right now just this think of the way that within a mere two decades billions of people have come to interest the google search algorithm with one of the most important tasks of all searching for relevant and trustworthy information and as we increasingly rely on google for answers our ability to search for information by ourselves diminishes already today truth is defined by the top results of the google search my personal example a couple of years ago i had to take my family out for a for ice cream to one of the famous ice cream parlors in in bangalore mm-hmm. i was in the same vicinity of the of the ice cream parlor but i wasn't finding the place now if i were not so technology dependent i would have inquired with the people around me and would have found the place easily but nope i opened google maps i searched for the place and i followed it blindly and it actually it showed that i was a kilometer away from the place but in reality if i would have just turned around my car the ice cream parlor was just 50 meters behind cost of been there <laughs> done that i think we've all faced this because we all step out thinking google maps will find the way get us to that destination we don't have to worry about it but fa- having faced this issue multiple times now whenever i'm stepping out to a new place to a new territory yeah. i read the map just keep myself aware of any major landmarks along the way so that yeah. if technology decides to dump me then i'm prepared for it <laughs> it you know one of my professors in my uh, mba he said if the information is not on google then either it doesn't exist or it is not true that's interesting Now, Yeah, once once AI makes better decisions than us about our careers and perhaps even our relationships, our concept of humanity and life 
it will have it will have to change but wait don't we make our decisions ourselves you think ai can make decisions for us and then what really happens to our free will where does that go ah uh, you think so we have a free will okay interesting fact it turns out that our choices of everything from food to mates result not just from some mysterious free will but rather from billions of neurons calculating probabilities within a split second this so called human intuition is in reality pattern recognition now what if just imagine what if ai can outperform humans even in the task that supposedly demand human intuition mm, you're now talking like an ai expert here but do you actually think this is workable that ai can take the most fundamental decisions for us in our life is that the future i will i will i will rely on on one point that mr harari makes in the book he says that two particularly important non human abilities that ai possesses and they are one connectivity and second updatability let's let's imagine for example many drivers are unfamiliar with all the cha- ever changing traffic regulations and they often violate them right we also have have done that some you know in in our past as well but when two such vehicles which are already part of a single algorithm okay they come at the same junction they are not two separate entities and they will never violate the rules right agree with me yes i do now let me throw a curveball at you suppose two kids chasing a ball jump right in front of a self driving car that you own now based on its lightning fast calculations the algorithm driving the car concludes that the only way to avoid hitting the two kids is to swerve into the opposite lane and risk colliding with an oncoming truck the algorithm calculates that in such a case there is a 70% chance that you the owner of the car who is relaxing in the back seat would be killed now what do you think the algorithm should do wow I think I myself wouldn't be have been able to decide this but leaving it to an algorithm maybe not. So for me I really love driving so I would always prefer mm-hmm. having a vehicle that I can drive myself not a very firm believer mm-hmm. in the self driving idea. But mm-hmm. given this scenario I would prefer to trust my intuition instead of giving control to an algorithm. That'll be my safe answer. Okay but what if you are made to buy a self driving car because that's these are the cars which exist. and as an owner before buying such cars you are asked to sign on such policy documents which has these moral dilemma questions okay will you actually buy the car well certainly i wouldn't buy that car i'll prefer cycling down or walking down <laughs> <laughs> i i put you on a spot right you indeed did <laughs> dude this book is full of so many such moral dilemmas and that is why i am encouraging our readers to pick this book up i so much love this book well back to my response as i was saying that the technology algorithm has amassed such a colossal power already that today more and more banks corporations and institutions are using algorithms to analyze data and make decisions for us so just just think when you when you go to a bank and you apply for a loan it is likely that your application is processed not by a human but by the bank system the algorithm 
and in case if bank refuses to give you a loan you will ask why right and the bank then the the bank relationship manager replies yeah the 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 system in this case the algorithm said no you would ask but why did the algorithm say no what's wrong with me he would say well i don't know but i trust the system and if the system says no then i can't give you the loan we got to be cognizant of the fact that such technology advancements were and are intended for the benefit of homo sapiens right we know that and it was all possible because our current world revolves around the power of liberalism it has always taken the center stage at least in the modern history but now when these advancements have come biting down at us liberalism has no obvious answers but hold on hold on what in the world has technology and liberalism got to do with each other <laughs> i'll come to that but let me also hint you that not only the technology disruption as a problem liberalism is not able to solve but there are there's another biggest problem that liberalism doesn't have an answer to it's ecological collapse now let's depend on google.com for for the meaning of liberalism google says liberalism is a political and social philosophy that promotes individual rights civic liberties democracy and free enterprise this in turn will promote more collaboration which will vastly increase globalization and contribute in promoting equality now well according to mr harari liberalism is losing credibility exactly when the twin revolutions in information technology and biotech confront us with the biggest challenge our species have ever encountered as i mentioned earlier and since the most famous global financial crisis of 2008 people like us all over the world they have become increasingly more delusioned with this liberalism story imagine walls and fire firewalls are back in vogue resistance to immigration is all time high the disagreements in trading the increase in tariffs in trading is mounting now big data algorithms are slowly extinguishing this liberty they might simultaneously create the most unequal societies that ever existed that's true yeah and and as i said the answer to this is big fat data the race to obtain the data is already on headed by data giants such as google facebook baidu and tencent these companies capture our attention by providing us with free information services and entertainment and then they resell our attention to the advertisers so the idea about if you are not paying for something then you are yourself the product exactly you got it the truth be told as you know they, as you said the true business isn't to sell advertisements at all rather they would want to capture our attention and they manage it by accumulating and they, they actually capture our attention they manage to accumulate immense amount of data about us through this which is worth more than any advertising revenue as you said we aren't their customers we are their product and just imagine if this goes on and if this is not regulated all wealth and power might be concentrated in the hands of tiny elite which most people will suffer uh, not from exploitation but from something far worse irrelevance already today 
richest 1% owns half the world's wealth even more alarmingly the richest 100 people together own more than poorest 4 billion people that's really scary those numbers don't sound exciting yep yep and as as we bought into the liberalism and freedom of will story people all over the world were told that humankind uh, is on the path of equality and that globalization and new technologies will help us get there sooner but to be honest we can't doubt globalization it certainly has benefited many of us but i do agree that there are evident signs of growing inequality between societies well yeah see the two advancements which i which i keep talking about right the advancements in bioengineering coupled with the rise of ai it might therefore result in the separation of humankind into a small class of superhumans let's homo deus and a massive underclass of useless homo sapiens now that most of the tech tech savvy people have given away their personal data to tech giants some key questions this book leaves us uh, with is one who owns this data second does the data about our dna my brain and my life belongs to me to my government does it belong to a corporation or does it belong to a human collective perhaps in our enthusiasm for globalization we have been too quick to dismiss the good old nations might a return to traditional nationalism be the solution to a desperate global crisis and with that let me ask you this what do you think is the most threatening global crisis as of now for us hmm climate change extreme temperatures that's what mm-hmm. comes to mind first true exactly okay now aren't we responsible for this we as humans are destabilizing the global biosphere on multiple fronts we are taking more and more resources out of the environment while pumping back into it enormous quantities of waste and poison thereby changing the entire composition of the soil the water and the atmosphere now we as a human collective there are many things that our governments corporations and and individuals can do to avoid climate change but to to be effective yuval says that it has to be done on a global level but globally with every government every corporation and every individual will they agree i think in my mind it is difficult to be optimistic about this see very 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 simple reasons most of these entities even on a grander scale they think that they themselves or let me extrapolate it their own nations they come first and this book says that the most prominent state nations uh, are at the moment promoting and showcasing chauvinistic ultranationalism and this is where the problem begins now what what is chauvinistic ultranationalism instead of believing that my nation is unique which is true for all nations we are made to believe that my nation is supreme and that i i owe my entire loyalty and uh, i have i have no significant obligations to anyone else but these zealous nationalists who cry our our country first or our nation first should ask themselves whether their country by itself without a robust system of international cooperation can they improve the state of the world or even itself right 
I think that's an important point you've made there. No nation by itself is self-sufficient. You mm-hmm. are what you are because of the support that you have from countries and mm-hmm. nations around you. But then we're still stuck at the problem that you mentioned. How do we solve it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. Well, Mr. Harari says that it's our duty to find the right solutions for the world, which is full of misery, even for climate change. Now, and. the answer is secularism now what does it mean to be secular according to him secularism is a very positive and active world view it is defined by a coherent code of values and is centered around three ideas and i just love this section of the book because i am confident us and most of the readers of our age can relate to what yuval thinks about secularistic ideas so coming back to the three ideas first commitment to the truth the commitment to the truth is based on uh, not just fictional stories but it is based on observation and evidence rather than on mere faith they understand that the world has a grave problem of climate change and the way they were able to find out is by relying on the scientific truth which is lying in the tables of statistical data and other scientifically peer reviewed articles the second ideal he talks about is compassion okay this is the deep reason why secular people cherish scientific truth they constantly strive to know how best to reduce the suffering of the world and what ties these two points together is the third ideal they cherish responsibility basing their actions on the truth that they know and the compassion that they have they will give a hundred percent to take responsibility for their actions and for the world as a whole don't you think it is the right way to approach not just climate change but anything we do okay hold on that's quite a lot of information for me we started at education oh. you've talked about technology then you went to the job market then you talked about climate change all the way to nationalism secularism and what not this can literally go on and on and on <laughs> it's all really 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 complex for me to understand but mm-hmm. what should i be doing in my life that's what i want to know what's the meaning of life uh, for someone who is living here right now in the 21st century tell me that <laughs> you know anirudh there is a chapter in this book the second last chapter which talks about uh, the meaning of life and this is where i drastically reduced my reading speed in my perspective this chapter this just one chapter holds the entire book together and i again urge our listeners to let this podcast on 21 lessons for the 21st century inspire you to go ahead and pick up this book well now who would not want to know the meaning of life but it is is this the right question to ask and this is what yuval harari argues in this book in my opinion every generation needs a new answer because what we know and don't know it keeps changing we want a story that will explain what reality is all about and what is my particular role in this cosmic drama each being possesses a unique dharma which is no what is dharma it is nothing but the path you must follow and the duties you must fulfill if you realize your dharma 
no matter how hard the path may be you enjoy peace of mind and liberation from all the doubts simple yet beautiful concept isn't it it sure is In, and i think it ties back to that book which reminds me of ikigai so you find your purpose and you live every moment fully you remember that i completely agree with you and i absolutely love ikigai book as well i love it hmm with this we must also acknowledge that everything is connected and everyone depends on everyone else hence perhaps isn't it beneficial if we just make the world a little better you can t- you can help somebody and that somebody will subsequently help somebody else and you thereby contribute to the overall improvement of the world and constitute a small link in the great chain of kindness right so, and how how must one make this world a better place are you suggesting social service as the go to solution um well kind of but there's a different answer to it already thousands of years ago priests and shamans they have discovered the answer rituals now a ritual is a magical act that makes the abstract concrete and the fictional real of now of all the rituals sacrifice is the most potent sacrifice leads to suffering and of all the things in the world suffering is the most real you can never ignore it or doubt it take martyrs for example our soldiers freedom fighters etc their sacrifice it enchants us with tales of heroism it moves us to tears and i i completely agree when yuval says that few gods nations or revolutions can sustain themselves without martyrs i'm quoting something from the book which just shook me to the core Mr Harari writes and I quote the universe has no meaning and human feelings too are not part of a great cosmic day they are ephemeral vibrations appearing and dis- disappearing for no particular purpose that's the truth get over it wait unquote. wait wait so you are saying that all that we have discussed right till now is absolutely mm-hmm. irrelevant Mm-hmm. just accept what is there and live with it mm-hmm. right and that mm-hmm. is where that is where yuval noah harari introduces the buddha he said that the buddha taught us three basic realities of the universe just just think about it okay what i'm going to say three basic realities of the universe one everything is constantly changing second nothing has any enduring essence and third nothing is completely satisfying suffering emerges because people fail to appreciate these realities according to the buddha life has no meaning and people don't need to create any meaning they just need to realize that there is no meaning and thus be liberated from the suffering caused by our attachments however for a common folk unfortunately this too very easily turns out into a heroic epic and this is where yuval talks about his meditation practice yuval noah harari 
fellow listeners he meditates for 2 hours a day and i am 100% confident that this meditation practice has immensely helped him in writing the three most essential books of our lifetime now let me come back to my question to ivanir is understanding the meaning of life the right question to ask well now that you have said all of this maybe not the big question according to mr harari facing humans isn't what is the meaning of life but rather how do we get out of suffering when you give up all the fiction stories you can observe reality with far greater clarity than ever before and if you really know the truth about yourself and about the world nothing nothing can make you miserable wow i'm blown away simple yet beautiful that was really insightful kostub thanks a lot i think you motivated me to pick up this book again and learn more from it absolutely thank you very much for the next episode on the book talkies i have to blame anirudh and thank him as well for making me read this book twice and the game changing book is Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba. the psychology of money by morgan housel oh yeah my day to shine bloody show off of course you will This brings us to the end of this episode of the Book Talkies. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and help us spread the word. We would truly appreciate any feedback that you may have. So please use the link in the description to leave your comments. Thanks again. See you in the next episode. Till then, happy reading.